everybody. <clears throat> so I'm not sure if you um, know what our series is about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going there. Do you want this, sweetheart? Okay. Okay. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, thank you guys for being here with us at Generations Church. My name's Scott, and I just welcome you all here. And um, I do want you to just sit back and relax. There's so much on my heart I want to share um, on this. There's so much we could share that, that we don't even have time for in this series, uh, just because we're, we're trying to pack it into about, you know, about a three-week series. And so um, just really wrestling with the things that God wants to share this time about this. And, uh, you know, we'll let the Holy Spirit have his way. He may take us in a slightly different direction or lengthen it or how, we don't know. But, um, but here's what I want to do for this too. Over the next three weeks, as we, we talk about some of these subjects, uh, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to respond and to ask the questions that are bugging you, that are on your mind, the clarifications you need, those, those scriptures that you didn't quite understand, you don't really understand, you, you know, what's another take on that? You know, why do we say this? Why do we believe that? What, you know, what do we say to this, you know, when our culture is going this way? How do, you know, what's, you know, what, what are those questions in your mind? Because I want to, we want to be able to, to touch on those things. We want to uh, address the things that are, that are uh, roiling around inside you. And so what my hope is, is that at a later date, soon, but in a later week, we'll be able to come back and kind of, we, we could even spend a Sunday answering your questions on this, right? So hopefully we're gonna, we're gonna hit those questions or most of those questions over the next three weeks. But if we don't, make sure you, you let us know. So <clears throat> there's three ways <coughs> you can let us know. Uh, first question, let me ask you, I asked this a couple of years ago. I got a really disappointing response. Let's see, let's see if it gets any better. Um, how many of you, raise your hand if you were on Twitter. Okay, not much better. There you are, okay, okay. It's okay, I'm not judging you. Um, it is the communication of the future, but you might, you might wanna look into it, but that's okay. But if you were on Twitter, um, you can tweet your question to us. Um, at G Church Spring, that's our Twitter address. And uh, if, if you're kind of a newbie to Twitter, you just wanna kind of start your tweet with that and then it'll just fly right into the big box uh, of the internet box that holds tweets um, for our church. And so you can do that. There is another way you can shoot us your question, your comment, and you know, and it may be like a one-line thing. What do you think about blah? Or it may be like a whole paragraph. You just, you just kind of want to preach a while. That's fine. Um, what you can do is how many of you have access to email? Raise your hand. Okay, that's a pretty good response. That second way you can do that is by emailing us. Uh, email to questions at gchurch.net. Shoot us an email. And, uh, and look, you know, I'm not going to be like all studying who sent the email. Oh, I see what Dave wants to know. You know, it's not like that. You know, we'll keep it confidential. I'm, I'm just curious about what the question is, you know. And, you know, if I realize, wow, there's like four questions that are kind of similar, then we'll know. That's something that's probably on more people's mind. There is a third way you can let us know. It's this new um, piece of technology. It's called writing things on pieces of paper. You can take your pen or your pencil um, and write your question on a piece of paper. If you want to get really jiggy with it, you can fold it in half. 
and you can put it in the offering. That just works really well. You can just put it in the offering when it comes by. Bonus, people think you're giving an offering. <laughs> um, so, just to review, we have email, uh, Twitter, writing on pieces of paper. Three ways you can let us know your questions, okay? So I really, I really want to know uh, what it is you're thinking about. All right, sex. It's the scariest three-letter word in the church, right? Isn't it? What I hope to do in this series, and today's just, today we're kind of laying the groundwork. Um, today we're laying the groundwork. What I hope to do in this short series is kind of take sex out of the, the dark, awkward, hidden closet that we pretend isn't there, and I want to shine the light of God on it. There's light of his word on the subject of sexuality because it turns out the Bible that we all read and love, the Bible has a ton to say on this subject. As it turns out, God is really pro-sex. Did you know that? He's real pro-sex. He is, regardless of what you might have heard on the street. Um, the Bible has a lot to say, has a lot to celebrate on this topic, um, which is a relief because whether you're Let's face it, whether you're married or you're single or you're 15 or 55, our sexuality kind of consumes a big part of our lives. We don't go around, like, telling everybody that. But your sexuality consumes a, lot, a big part of your life. It's the source, when you think about it, it's the source of so much worry and hope, pleasure and pain and temptation, self-image, um, issues of intimacy, uh, Things You probably deal with some facet of your sexuality several times a day. Some of you several times a minute, right? Um, and we can tell. We can tell when, who, who you are. Um, and that's okay. Um, as the church, I really feel like we have a responsibility to talk about this. I don't think this is something um, that we need to throw under the carpet and, you know, brush under the rug. That's the better term. Um, and, and not talk about because we need to come together as a community and talk about all the important facets of living in the kingdom of God while living in a godless culture. Don't we live in a godless culture? Yeah, pretty much. So we need to talk about this stuff. Who else is going to talk about it with us? You know, your friends at work? Are you going to get the kingdom of God perspective there? Maybe not. Um, now let me tell you where we're headed over the next few weeks. First of all, this series, uh, I'll just tell you, is not really rated G. Um, hopefully you've caught on to that. And, and today, today's going to be more like PG. Tomorrow maybe, or next week, more PG-13-ish. Um, so it's not really kid-friendly. By that, I mean pre-teenager. So I'm sort of assuming everybody in here is sort of high school and above. Um, so not really for little kids, sort of like parts of the Bible, right? Uh, did you know that? It's a shock for some people to find out that the Bible... Some, much of the Bible wasn't really written for children. It's written for adults. And, and it's the responsibility of us adults to become the stewards of the message to offer our children. Did you know that? There is some strange, freaky stuff in there, right? Um, as a parent, I want the opportunity to guide my child through the Word at the appropriate age. And... Um, <clears throat> I don't just tell my six-year-old, uh, as much as he might think it was cool, I don't tell him, hey, Mace, go, go check out the book of Judges. Uh, and then, you know, we'll come comfort you tonight as you're crying yourself to sleep, <laughs> right? It's just not really kid-friendly there. 
And so, so you got these wonderful verses of the Bible that are, are just not really rated G. I love this one in the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7. Song of Solomon, you know it's going to be good. He's describing the beloved, and he says this, Your stature is like that of the palm, so she's tall and slender. And your breasts are like clusters of fruit. That is some palm tree, right? Um, I like what he says next. And I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. Come on, that is just awesome. And that's the Bible, right? That's the Bible. Now, you usually don't find that verse in a lot of children's Bibles, right? Here you go, honey. Here's your, your memory verse for the day, right? That's not going to happen. So over the, over the next few weeks, uh, like I said, it'd be kind of PG-13. So basically, it's a good time to check your kid in, into our incredible children's ministry that's called Kids World. Now, let me also say this. When we talk about issues of sexuality, we understand that sexuality touches on our, on our core of personhood. It's a very personal subject. Um, so when we talk about sexual issues... It's sometimes something we respond to very emotionally, very positively, sometimes very negatively, because sexuality comes close to our heart. It comes close to our sense of identity. Your sense of identity um, has a lot to do with your sexuality. Because of that, some of us may be coming in here with you know, great enthusiasm and anticipation, but we also remember that many of us come in here with fear and trembling. And uh, we acknowledge that. This can be an area of real pain. There's, there's many of us who have had real hurt in our lives, but when that hurt, when you're hurt or you're broken sexually, either because of something others have done to you or some choices you've made, either way, this, this area of sex, the pain can, can touch us at our very core. We acknowledge that. So we're mindful of that. And so my prayer in this series is, if that's you, some of you will actually find healing. Uh, and restoration, the healing that you've needed from God for a long time. And my encourage to you, if you find this uh, painful, if, if you're one of those that find it painful, I encourage you, don't hide. Push through. Come. And, and bring your pain into community with us. And here's why I say that. Don't, don't respond by withdrawing and avoiding the topic, because if we take something so crucial to our soul as our sexuality— if we take that and we compartmentalize it on the side, what we're actually doing is giving our pain room to grow unhindered. That's what happens when we, when we isolate our pain. When we bring it, though, when we bring it here into the light of community, what we discover is that there is much to celebrate. God's way is wonderful. God's design is wonderful. And even if we're bringing this pain, and I've got this pain here in this area, bringing it into community helps us recalibrate, okay? And, and it's part of the healing process. I really believe that. So if you're here this morning, and that's you, this pain, and this is a painful topic for you, huge props to you, number one, for pushing through and being here. And in Jesus' name, may pain, uh, may healing be yours. In, amen? Amen. Okay. And I have to apologize a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm got a, sucking on a cough drop. I had a little bit of a cold lately, so if y'all will excuse me. I'm not trying to be rude, but I just don't want to cough uh, throughout the entire sermon. So here we go. Okay, everybody ready? Ready to jump in? Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. It's to the left. 
um, its very first, right? Genesis 1, we're going to start in verse 1. We are literally starting at the beginning here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the surface of uh, the Spirit of God <clears throat> excuse me, was hovering over the waters. I want to focus for a second on that phrase there, formless and empty, formless and empty. In the Hebrew language, it's this really neat phrase, tohu vabohu, tohu vabohu, okay, formless and empty. Everybody say that with me, tohu vabohu, say it again, tohu vabohu, right? Sounds, it's kind of fun to say. Um, feel free to say it at home all the time. <laughs> But it means formless and empty. The, some biblical translators, your Bible might say wild or chaotic. Uh, the literal meaning of this phrase is the same root as the Hebrew for uh, confusion and unreality. So you get the idea. Chaos, confusion, unreality, formless, empty. So the idea is that there's this chaotic void, formless mess, and God hovers over it. And the word there they use for hover, it, it gives the connotation of a bird. So he's hovering over it like a bird, and then he, he goes in and he creates. And in verse 3, he says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. We'll just skip real fast here. Verse 6, uh, God said, let there be a vault, an expanse uh, between the waters to separate water from water. In verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so in verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land with, that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds, and it was so. In verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night. In verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And in verse 24, he said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Now, as we're, we're moving forward, we start with that tohu vabohu. Uh, what, what comes first is the light, right? And one of the things that we want to understand first about this passage that makes it really, really cool is the format it's written in, um, which, and many of you know this already, but it's, a, it's actually a style of poetry, right? It's, it's poetry. It's, it's not some just boring, like, news report. It's poetry. It's got a cadence. It's got a meter, right? This is like ancient Mesopotamian rap right? It's like on the first day and it was good and the second day and it was good. It's what it's doing. It's, it has a, it's got a rhythm built into it. It's got a beat. You can dance to it. Um, and the writer wants us to understand that there's all sorts of things happening below the surface of the, the literal words here. Number one, in the beginning, you have light and dark. You have air and water and land, really basic kind of elemental building block type stuff. But then, what do you get? You get vegetation, right? Which starts as plants and then trees, and then it's seed-bearing fruit. So notice, what we have here, each thing is more complex than the thing before it, right? It's more complex. So a tree takes more design and arrangement than, than like a puddle of water, right? Or a rock that's just spinning out in space. A seed-bearing piece of fruit um, is more advanced than like a blob of moss, which is more advanced than a rock. And so in Genesis 1, the further we go through the order, one of the interesting things we see is the more highly arranged and complex and design and detail there is. And then after we get plants, we get animals, and so fish and birds and 
uh, squirrels and are more complicated than, than a piece of fruit. Um, and each thing is more complex than the thing before it, more highly developed. There's more attention to design. And then, of course, God creates a man who's more advanced than a gorilla, slightly, right? And then, of course, God steps back and says, I think we can do better, right? Amen? Ladies, creation always works outward from the simplest to the most glorious, right? Which is why you came last, amen? I'm fishing for cheap applause from the ladies. Um, that's just what the, it's what the text says, right? Lower life forms, reptiles, furry creatures, and then women. He saved the best for last. Um, now, what's fascinating is on day six, something different happens. And, and it even happens in the way it's talked about. Day six, and, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, so notice all of a sudden the, the rhythm breaks. It's like our song takes a pause. There's a pause in the beat. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. <coughs> so God created mankind. That word is, is inclusive. It's, it's, it's humans, men and women, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. In verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. What's the first thing God tells them when, when he creates these people and he shows up? Is he like, hi everybody, this is a garden and uh, this is existence and so um, you'll want to get to know everything. And, you know, you might want to start with some gardening or something like that. No, the first thing he tells them when he shows up, basically, go have sex, Right? Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Later, it's recorded, a few verses later, that he tells them about all, the next thing he tells them is about all the food that he's provided for them. So the first two things God says to human beings, go have sex and go get something to eat afterwards, right? I love this God. I love this, Right? Now, what's interesting is back in verse 25, this is the first we hear about the image of God, making man in our image. And, and the writer makes this clear break to tell us, he's making a break to tell us, hey, the stuff that comes before this was different. God stops the rhythm of the poem and says, now this, the humans, we're getting to something different now. The writer wants us to know that humans are created in God's image, but the animals weren't. Okay? You got it? There's something different that has happened in the order of creation when God created humans. Namely, they were to be reflective. Somehow image bearers of, of the core attributes of God. Image bearers. So what's the writer's point? Humans aren't animals. You are not an animal. Okay? Now, what does that mean for us? Let's, let's keep going. Psalms 8. That if you, you turn there if you like. In Psalms, the Psalms are filled with all these prayers and poems and songs and questions. And in Psalms 8, you have this writer. He's asking some really large questions about our place 
in the universe. <coughs> he says this in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what, what you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. Have you ever had these questions? Right? You ever just looked at the stars and wondered this? How? Because, I mean, we, we know how bigger the universe is than he probably realized, right? Billions. God, there's billions of stars in this galaxy. And this is one of the smaller galaxies among billions of galaxies. And you care about me? That kind of blows you away a little bit, right? As human beings, we are naturally filled with these big probing questions. How can you love me, God? Why am I here? right? Well, why is there suffering? Have you ever seen like a dog sitting with another dog over a latte just going, I, I just don't know what it's all about, <laughs> right? Do, do birds ever just need some like space so they can get in touch with their emotions, right? One crow ever say to another crow, I'm going I'm to take a year away just to kind of find myself. <laughs> you know, you never see that. You never have animals wrestling with the big questions because in Genesis 1, animals aren't created and instilled with this sense of, of spiritual aware, awareness that you have. Animals don't pray. Animals, they don't seek God's will for their future, right? Secondly, an animal is fundamentally enslaved to its instincts, Right? It's a slave to its urges and desires. It can't argue uh, with those urges. It's instinct. We even have a phrase for animals at a certain time in their life, in heat, right? And what we mean is that dog is in heat, and he's, gonna, you know, he's looking for some action, and you're not going to talk him out of it with reason or anything like that unless you lock him up in a room. Um, and sometimes we even use this phrase, right? We, and we refer to who? People. So we say, oh, so-and-so, that dude is in heat, right? What do we mean? He is a slave to his urges and desires, right? It's like, it's like he can't control himself. But God, we just read that God didn't create us animals, now notice what else Psalms 8 refers to. If we continue in verse 5. You have made them a little lower than the angels. Hmm. Now some of your Bibles might say heavenly beings there. So this writer, all of a sudden this, this writer is referring to a whole other class of creation. It's not mentioned in Genesis 1. It isn't human. These aren't animals. They're heavenly beings. Angels who apparently exist somewhere in God's cosmic order of creation. Over in the book of Job, <clears throat> we don't have time to go there, but I'll just tell you about it. We're told that these angels were present before the very creation of the world, that they were there. And so they were created before us. And in Hebrews, they're referred to as ministering spirits, angels. Now think about that word spirit. We understand a spirit is something disembodied. Am I right? A spirit is, doesn't have a body. Uh, so angels are these heavenly beings with a spiritual consciousness. They have an awareness. They're able to worship and sing for joy. <coughs> Excuse me. They're able to serve God 
And yet as spirits, they don't have a, a physical body. We might say it like this. An, an animal has a physical body, but no spiritual life. An angel has a spiritual life, but no physical body. And God created you and I fully human. He did not create us animals, and he did not create us angels. The implication of this is that God's purpose for you, his will for your life, is not to become more animalistic or more angelic. It is to become fully human in the image of God. That's the way he created Adam. That's the way he, his, his ultimate will for you is. He created you to be something very special. He's got animals. He's got angels. He wants humans. He created humans. You as a human exist in an in a incredibly unique place in the spectrum of all creation. All creation. There's no other being that we know of that is both fully physical and fully spiritual like you. When God made human beings, he brought together these two very distinct realms. When Jesus speaks of God, he speaks of God as a spirit, and God creates the earth, which is physical matter, and he created you, and God brought together these two vastly different realms in one being. See, I, I just want you to understand, we take it for granted sometimes, I want you to understand what a miracle you are, how very, very unique you are, you're not an animal. You're not an angel. You're something very different. In Genesis 2, it even says that he took the, the dry ground, the physical earth, and he breathed his spirit into to create man. So God's destiny for you is that you would become what he originally meant us all to be, a new creation. Neither animal nor angel, but fully human in the kingdom of God. So we might put it this way. Our, our great privilege as human beings is to live in that tension between animal and angel, to understand what it means to be created in the image of God, to be, to be reflective of God. And we cut ourselves off spiritually when we act like animals, just driven by our desires. We cut ourselves off spiritually. But we also cut ourselves in half physically if we try to pretend like we're angels without a physical nature. And so what I want to do in, in the rest of our brief time this morning is walk through uh, together what the New Testament scripture writers say, because the writers in the New Testament, they, they understood this, and they, they had some interesting things to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul had to address this, this very thing, with the, very, with the first Christians, the first century Christians. So this isn't anything new. From the very beginning, he had to address this. Now, anytime we're studying the letters of Paul, always keep in mind this, no matter, no matter what of the letters you're studying, keep in mind, context is important. Paul, uh, he's speaking to very specific people. He's speaking to specific churches. Um, and in Corinthians, he's speaking to the church of Corinth. So, and, and also the context here is that Paul is usually, uh, oftentimes, he's responding to questions or issues of that church. So that church may have asked him a question, 
And now he's responding to it. And so for us, it's a little bit like we're kind of like hearing only one side of a friend's telephone conversation, and we're just having to surmise what is the other side saying. Um, so we gather from this that he's, he's answering some questions from the church of Corinth. And one of the huge influences uh, on the culture of this uh, area of Corinth that Paul had to deal with, it was a philosophy, uh, some of you have heard of it, called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. And the, the new Christ followers there, they were constantly dragging, you know, they were new Christians, they're baby Christians, they join the church, they're excited, but they're dragging elements of Gnosticism, and, and it's, it's a Greek philosophy, into the church when they convert to Christianity. They're, and Paul has to address this and kind of straighten them out sometimes. One of the teachings of Gnosticism, and it's common to, to among the Greek thinkers, was that the material world was evil. Material world is evil, and the spiritual world is all that matters. The spiritual world is all that matters. Material world is evil. And that expresses itself, ironically, in two very different extremes when it comes, when it came to sexuality for the Greeks. There's two extremes. One being, look, okay, if the physical world is something God's not even interested in, he doesn't care about this, he doesn't care about our bodies, then hey, we can kind of do anything we want, right? You can do anything you want with your body. We can have as much sex as we want with as many different people as we want. The material world and the spiritual world are separate. Just do whatever because it's what you do with your soul, your religious life, that really matters. The spiritual life matters. So you can see how, where that line of reasoning comes from. This was a common practice of the Greeks because they kind of thought, man, God's not really paying attention to this, you know. Now, the other extreme, some of the Gnostics did this. Some of the other extremes was that, okay, well, the physical world is evil, and everything around us is, is really, it's an obstacle to achieving, you know, ultimate enlightenment, like true spirituality. And so what I have to do is treat my body like an evil thing. That's what we have to do. I have to abstain from any pleasure, any sexuality. And what's interesting is this, this uh, second tendency is, <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it was pretty alive and well throughout church history. You know, this idea of sort of flogging yourself, this self-flagellation, the sense that the body is evil, you know, and even the pain and suffering of other people doesn't really matter because what matters is that I get to heaven and I become a disembodied spirit as soon as possible. And the Apostle Paul comes, he comes at both extremes at different points in his writing. And so you have to kind of pay attention to which one is he coming at because sometimes he... It, it can be a little uh, puzzling because uh, he'll seem to be saying different things, but he's answering these two different extremes. In 1 Corinthians 6.13, for instance, you say, now here, he's quoting back to them, this was a common phrase of Corinth. This was a Gnostic saying. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food. God will destroy them both. See, you could do anything just fulfill your appetites. It doesn't matter. It's all going into the fire anyway. Paul says, But the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. He's telling them, guess what? The Lord cares about your body. He cares about your flesh. So that was kind of news to him. He's coming at the, against the idea that it doesn't matter what you do. Nothing physical matters, so, you know, do whatever. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, he says this. 
Now, for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And notice that's a quote. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So here he's countering this Gnostic Greek understanding that sex is dirty and it's defiling. It should be avoided at all cost. And in fact, a few verses later, Paul specifically forbids prolonged abstinence within marriage. He says, don't do that. That's, that's wrong. It's not, it's not natural. Paul says both extremes are wrong. Why? Because we're created to be fully human. We're created to be fully human, image bearers of God. We're not animals. We're not angels. But without Jesus, see, here's what happened after the fall. Without Jesus, we are spiritually dead, aren't we? We're spiritually dead. We're without any, one of the writers in Ephesians, I believe, says we're without any sensitivity or spiritual awareness. We're like, we're like zombies just watching ourselves consume and indulge with no control over our actions, right? Dogs in heat. But when we get in Christ, we're made alive. Christ actually brings you back your humanity. That is what he does. He's not trying to turn you into an angel. He's trying to turn you into a human being again, the way God meant for you to be, a powerful, beautiful image bearer of Christ, of, of God. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Because any of us here who have ever been a slave to our urges, we can tell you that living a life of, of continually trying to to satiate your urges, it never leaves you satisfied or happy. In fact, it usually leaves you feeling robbed, doesn't it? How many of you grew up in a religious setting where you never would have heard teachings or, or talked about even in the home or at church, anything remotely, honestly, dealing with a, with a sexual nature, Right? Heads nodding. Yeah. How many of you grew up in a home where, where sex was not talked about at all? A lot of us. I, I grew up, when I was growing up, I have to say this, I had something that I didn't realize it then, but I found out later is very rare. I had one of the rarest things you find today. I had a dad who actually sat me down at the appropriate age and told me about sex. Can you believe that? Right? And I'm a dad now, so I know, man, that had to be weird and awkward for him. And he did that. And I didn't even understand to appreciate it back then. Because I know now how rare that is, right? And I kind of figured out pretty soon after that how rare it was you know, when, I, when I'd be at school and hear some of my, you know, young friends talking about sex, and I knew they were kind of just making stuff up, you know, so we were all little kids, and, and, you know, and the stuff they were saying, like, they, you know, just how things work, I was like, man, they need their dad to, like, tell them about this stuff, right? You could tell. It. They don't have a dad like I do, so thank you. Sadly, though, for most of us, we, we grow up on our own, right? Because many of you, you didn't have that experience. You grow up on your own when it comes to being informed about our sexuality. Because, because the very people who need to be talking to us about it, 
about it and telling us kind of what's going on, what's happening with my body, right? And they're not having that conversation. The people we need aren't talking to us. Or how about this? How many of you grew up in a, in a culture where sex was just thought of as something very dirty, right? And all you were told was sex is, is, is horrible, dirty, filthy stuff. Save it for the one you love, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're like, hmm. <laughs> what is that? I'll tell you what that is. It's pretending like we're angels, and it doesn't work. We suffer, and our kids suffer, and our teenagers suffer. And the young kid who, at an appropriate age, if he isn't talked to, you know, by a parent in, in that mature, safe way by his parent, he's forced to kind of figure stuff out for himself or figure stuff out from kids at school who are either way misinformed or way too informed, if you know what I mean. And, and they inevitably are going to end up with lots of destructive baggage and hurt and stuff that they have to be healed of later. And let me tell you, in this day and age, you know, uh, I think it was just last week, Brother Ivan was here and quoted some statistics. In this day and age, when every 10-year-old kid, as well as his 60-year-old grandpa, can pull up infinite amounts of free porn on the internet that leaves nothing to mystery, you know, we, we worry about that, but at the same time, if, if we were really honest and asked some of you, I wonder, would you say, well, would you kind of just be like, I'm throwing up my hands and saying, just let them do their thing, get it out of their system. It's just too awkward to step in and talk to them about. And when we give up and we say, oh, kids will be kids, there's no stopping them, you know, let them have their spring break week, go, you know, just, it's like a zoo, you just put them in a pen, let them do their thing, keep them hopefully from killing each other. What we're doing is we're selling them short and we're sentencing them to a life of hurt and baggage. And as soon as we give up on God's ideal for our life, we have a mess on our hands. Boys who are 11, 12, 13, who find themselves suddenly like becoming a man, finding there's like all these powerful forces surging through them. Stuff, stuff is at work. You know, they, they can't say hi to a girl without like falling down and, you know, snot coming out of their nose. And, and if there's no parent there, or if the parent has surrendered the job of raising the children instead of equipping them, you know, to be godly, sexual men and women in the context of the kingdom of God. Instead, we've surrendered that task to, you know, www.hollywoodpleaseraisemykids.com, right? Because it's too awkward. Or how about the parents who, who have this 10, 11, 12-year-old daughter, and she's all of a sudden, you know, she's, she's like becoming a woman, and her whole world is changing, and suddenly, you know, she's getting noticed, and her interactions with other girls and with the opposite sex is starting to shift. The landscape is changing, right? And her, her parents never say anything to her, and she's got to figure all that stuff out on her own. What if there was nobody to tell her? I know it's awkward right now, but you, hey, you are worth dying for. 
someone found you worth dying for. That's what they need to know. And a major transformation is going on in them, right? And the whole way they view reality is shifting, and nobody comes alongside and says, hey, it's going to be okay. This is weird, I know. But let me tell you about the incredible things that God has in store for you, the incredible things that are on the way. Or comes alongside her and says, look, it's okay, because you are worth dying for. And culture is telling them they're just animals, so go with it. And, and religion is telling them, act like an angel. You know, pretend you're an angel. And nobody has given them that third way, which is what God's always about, right? You are fully human, an image bearer of God. Now, some of you in this room, some of us, are the, were the 16-year-olds of the 1970s and 80s and 90s. And we're just now, some of you are just now discovering the truth that Christ found you worth dying for. And, and those people who may have took something from you in your life, that does not define your worth. Jesus has defined your worth. And Jesus hasn't forgotten about you. God created you to be the most unique creation on this planet with a body full of desires and hopes and joys and the potential to experience the most amazing pleasures. He created you that way. And fully spiritual, created in the image of God, able to commune with the creator of the universe, to pray to him and hear his voice back, to reflect his love on this earth, fully human and unforgettable. That's what you are. Amen? That's what you are. That's what you are. So, Let's be the kind of authentic faith community here at Generations. Let's be the kind of place where we're not too weirded to talk about it, but we're honest about it, okay? Where, where there are places where a person of any age can come up to us and say, listen, I, I'm really struggling uh, with this. Could, could, could somebody kind of help walk me through this, walk with me in this, sort this through? Or I had this heartbreak, and I just don't know what to do with this pain. Or I had this really strange feeling and thought, and I don't know what to do with that. And it's causing me to wonder about stuff. And here's my friends, what they're saying. It's all kind of confusing. And, and let's be that place where they're not going to be ridiculed or judged or just called, ah, oh, crazy kids. No, no, no. They're going to be loved. Amen? We can, we can help prepare our youth, right? So that when Mr. Boyfriend comes up to her and says, you don't understand, baby, you gotta sleep with me. I'm a man. I got needs. I got passion, baby. It's just boiling out of me, right? You don't understand. It's like biological, right? I can't help myself. Whoa. We want to equip her to be able to go, excuse me, do I hear a dog barking? <laughs> oh, right? <laughs> roof, Because see, when that person says, you don't understand, I just can't help, you know, what they're really saying is this. I have no higher gauge that's running the show here. I, I am a total weak slave to my urges. 
that's what they're saying. Do you know where the F word came from? Yes, I just said the F word on stage. <laughs> you know where it had its origins? Is originally a farm term used to describe the mating of livestock. It's old Dutch, if you care about that. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the brilliant guys in Middle English started applying it <laughs> to human beings engaged in mindless, soulless, animal behavior. It's a move in the wrong direction. God is moving us from chaos to beauty, and it's a move in the wrong direction. That's why a one-night stand always leaves you empty, leaves confusion and scars, because it's a move in the wrong direction, toward the chaos, and away from the beautiful complexity that God made you to, to be. That is why porn always leaves a person empty and frustrated and ultimately angry because it's treating people like animals. It's treating yourself like an animal. It's going in the wrong direction. But God's direction for your life, it moves us away from the chaos, away from the darkness that you used to live in, that I used to live in, and it's moving us towards beauty, towards order, everything he calls good. That's what God wants, amen? Listen, God could have created the universe a hundred different ways, right? He could have created us to, to function very differently than how we do. He could have made sex to be robotic and like automatic and non-emotional and unpleasurable, right? Like a sea turtle obeying the moon, right? We could just be in the middle of a meal and go, oh, the moon is out, sorry. Let's get this over with, you know? No, I mean, that's the way he could have made us, but he didn't. He created man in his image. And then he gave us this beautiful privilege of joining in the process of filling the earth with people. You know, if God wanted to create a planet with billions of people, he could have created a planet with billions of people. Instead, he created two, right? And he said, now go, create people in your likeness as I have created you in mine. He's given us that, that pleasure. We reflect the image of God in every aspect of our being, including our sexuality. God is always driving us, remember this, toward relationship, toward love, and toward unity because God is a God of relationship, love, and unity. That's where he's always driving us. You're not an angel. You're not an animal. You're a human. And God made you the most special thing in the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you so much for your goodness. God, we, we are speechless sometimes when it comes to to your love for us and what you've given us, Lord God, this beautiful world you've given us and life that you've given us. And Lord God, the opportunity you've given us and we repent for all the ways that we've, we've messed that up and we've gone in the wrong direction. And we thank you, Father God, that you are giving us a, a new future. You've given us a new hope, Father God. You are creating us to be fully human, alive in you, reflective of your attributes, Father God. 
we thank you for that, Lord God. And I thank you for every person here, Lord God, who, who is going through pain, who has gone through pain. They bear the scars. I thank you, Lord God, that your healing is falling on them right now, Lord God, your Holy Spirit. And it might just start with just the, the, the first awareness that healing might come, that it could come. There could be a better day, Father God. I thank you that you're awakening hope in people. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward now. And uh, if you have anything at all that you need prayer about, if uh, these guys are awesome, they're full of faith. Let me tell you what, what you pray is confidential. You want to come to them. You want to bear your soul to them. They're going to stand with you in faith. They are for you. They're not against you. And it's the, the Bible says when we come together and pray, that's where Jesus is. Faith is alive, right? So, so be sure and, and come forward and get prayer with these guys. Okay, we love you. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you next. We'll see you Wednesday night. All right, bye-bye.